Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to begin reading in a moment in verse uh, 23 or 24. I just want to say uh, how good it is to see you today, and I've shared this with a number of folks recently, and um, including some preacher friends of mine, you think after, you know, 45 years of being in the ministry and serving the Lord, you've seen everything. But the truth is, that's not the truth. And uh, so this has been a very unusual time. And one thing I can truthfully say about this time, I don't know of any time in my personal life as a Christian, which has been 45 years, when I've heard so many people talk about how much they want to be in church. Now, I hope that he still feel the same way after we've been coming to church, but it's really been remarkable, and it's been encouraging, and I'm thankful for it. We've looked forward to this day, and, you know, every state is different. We're fortunate in Missouri that uh, the restrictions as far as gathering are uh, as lenient, as uh, compassionate as they are, because there are some states that are where their um, guidelines are not as favorable as they are here. Those places, more than, we, more than they, the case here in Missouri, those cases um, seem to treat church like it's non-essential, you know, like restaurants or nail salons or things of that nature. And, of course, we believe very different about that because the Bible teaches something different than that, and that's what we're going to look at today from the Scripture. Um, what the church offers is essential, and I'm going to begin reading in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, and if you're able to stand with us for the reading of the Word of God, would invite you to do that. Hebrews chapter 10, and let's begin in verse 23. That's where the sentence begins. So let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray as we get into the message, all right? Father, we ask for your help again and your blessing as we open the Bible together. Help us to have receptive minds and hearts. Help us, Lord, to have our eyes focused on you and on truth and on the privilege that we have to assemble, to worship you, to praise you. And Father, may you work in each of our lives. And we pray today for those who are here today who may not be saved, who've never, as we heard in the song a moment ago, tasted of the grace of God. We pray that the Spirit of God and the Word of God would work in hearts to draw people to the cross and to Christ, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. You know, uh, you're aware, I'm sure all of us are, of certain guidelines that have been established and revised in recent weeks that have really changed our society. And not just ours, but uh, much of the world. I had a, my wife and I had a meal this week uh, with a missionary from uh, Thailand, and 
uh, just talked about the extreme measures that some of these countries are dealing with that we're not really dealing with here. And in the course of this, we have we've keep hearing certain phrases that have become a part of our, our language, our lingo, like social distancing. I don't think I ever used that word in my life until just in this recent uh, pandemic. And now we use it every day, numerous times every day. Or drive, a drive-in church service, who ever heard of it? Now, when we were kids, my wife and I, our parents took us to the drive-in movies. But I've never heard of a drive-in church service, but that's become a common occurrence here. So these things are sort of new to us. But one word that I want to focus on today that's, that's really become a part of the national um, rhetoric, and that is the word essential, essential things. Essential businesses, essential products, essential services. Some things are deemed essential, some things are deemed not essential. Uh, The first product that became absolutely essential based on the volume in which it was being purchased and hoarded was toilet paper. That's essential. Uh, Soon, nail salons and barber shops were declared non-essential. But Lowe's and Walmart and construction jobs and many other worthwhile products, factory services were essential. Then it was restaurants and fitness centers and parks that were non-essential. We visited a, a city park, my wife and I, just last week with this missionary family. We couldn't uh, use the, some of the things that were there because they consider that a non-essential. But one of the most uh, controversial and debatable places of gathering that was discussed and is being discussed is the church assembly, whether we can assemble or not. I mean, is public worship essential to the livelihood of citizens? And there are exceptions to this, but in many places and in many situations, the church assembly has been treated by governments, both local and national, otherwise as non-essential. We know this. Uh, Pastors have actually been arrested for ignoring local guidelines. Now, I'm not discussing today whether it's right or wrong to suggest that churches in a situation like this to uh, observe uh, what would be non, uh, just abnormal assembling procedures. We'll call it that. I don't see anything personally wrong with local assemblies who decide, as we did, to minimize the times that we assemble or even temporarily suspend services. And I do see something wrong with governments requiring churches not to do certain things that liquor stores can stay open and do. I think there's a discrepancy in that. But this is not a political message. It's just a a defense of the the fact that churches are essential and assembling as churches is essential. So I want to just, I want to kind of deal with this for a little bit from the scripture. And I think it's a good time to do so because I believe the assembling of the church is absolutely essential. Even though there may be times when we suspend that temporarily or, or revise our schedule, that doesn't change the fact that it's essential. And the first reason I would suggest to you today that it's essential is because the Word of God commands it. When God commands something, 
then we ought to take it seriously. And in this text we hear, we're reading in the scripture, it says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You know, this is a, the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew Christians. The, the Israelites, the Hebrews, were very familiar in the Old Testament with God's people assembling. They assembled at the tabernacle. They assembled at the temple. They assembled for public worship. They assembled to honor God. And by the way, when they assembled, God's presence was there with them. These Hebrews were, were aware of the value of assembling. But as we, write, we read here in Hebrews chapter 10 and all the book of Hebrews uh, written in the New Testament era, the Old Testament temple was no longer considered the house of God. According to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, the church, the church is the house of God, the church of the living God. God, has, God still has a house. It's not a tabernacle. It's not a temple. It is the assembly of His people. And so we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now, that's a, that's, I say that dogmatically. I say that emphatically because God says it. Having said that, then you have to ask the question, does that mean that every time the church meets, that we're required to be there regardless of circumstances? And I would say most people who think that through would say not, ne not necessarily so. For instance, I'll give you an example. The Apostle Paul, who uh, was a, church, a member of the church at Antioch, and he was sent out of the church at Antioch, to do missionary work. He traveled in countries of the world doing missionary work, and he was gone for maybe years at a time. Then he would come back to his home church. He would report to his home church. He would spend time with his home church. But the point is, he was not always there when the church assembled. Correct? So we'd have to say there are times and cases where it's not possible to assemble with the church. And I think we would agree, and this is certainly relevant in our situation today, that God didn't expect us to be present in church if we're extremely ill or running a fever or sick, something that could be transmitted to another person. So there are times when we may not be able to assemble, but that's different than missing church for a soccer game or going on a field trip to Six Flags. That's a little bit different, wouldn't you say? That's uh, Church assembly is important in the eyes of of God. There's a statement that, a phrase that's seldom used um, today, but I remember it a lot being used more frequently in my early days, and that is, unless providentially hindered. It's a good statement that we ought to be in church unless providentially hindered. In other words, unless something in our circumstances that is beyond our control would keep us from being here, we ought to be in the house of God. Good to see you, John. I just noticed you. One of the safest places to sit and not be noticed is the front row. Because I know the chiefest sinners sit in the back, and I give them my most... Good to see you, man. Welcome home. Unless providentially hindered. John has been providentially hindered from being in church because he's been deployed overseas. I think church attendance is essential. I think it is essential because God commands us to do it. Now, again, agreeing to temporarily assembling because of a health emergency is not forsaking the assembly. 
the majority of our people, and maybe all of our people, or at least the majority of our people, though we haven't assembled for seven weeks, we want to be here. We would be here. If it's possible, we'd be in our place. And just for the record, online services can be encouraging, and they can be humorous, and they can be helpful, but they'll never meet the definition or fulfill the benefits of assembling in person. So we ought to assemble, first of all, because it's, it's commanded in the Scripture. A second reason that assembling is essential is because of the encouragement and support that it provides. I hope you have your Bible opened here in Hebrews chapter 10. And notice, if you would please, verse 24, where the Bible says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Assembling offers us a unique opportunity to encourage and support one another. Look at the language of verse 24, to provoke one another to love and to good works. Assembling with the church family ought to encourage us to be stronger Christians. It ought to encourage us and we ought to encourage one another unto love and to good works. That's what the Bible says. Unto love. We ought to be encouraged to love God more. We ought to be encouraged to love others, to love one another more, to love the unsaved more. We ought to be provoked. You know, sometimes we may have a tendency to not care about something like we should, not, not, not be as passionate in our love for God as we should, but being together ought to flame the fires of love, provoke one another to love, and to good works. We ought to be, we ought to be encouraged to live out our faith. Sometimes it would be possible, I think, for a person who professes faith not to assemble with other Christians read their Bible at home perhaps, watch things online, and not be really challenged to live for God, to serve the Lord. But we are encouraged to, to and provoked, it says in verse 24, and we're to provoke one another's to love and to good works. In verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. We're to encourage one another. We're encourage one another because we need encouragement, and the assembly does that. Listen, the purpose of the assembly, we're sitting here today for the first time in over seven weeks, we're sitting here assembling, but just sitting in the assembly does not fulfill all the purposes that the assembly is to provide. It ought to provide encouraging one another, uh, building up one another. You know, in the world, we get encouraged to be slack in our faith. In the world, we listen to language and see activities that would, as, as uh, spoke of Lot, who would be, you know, have his, his faith and his, his zeal kind of tarnished and dampened because of the influence of the world. But in the church, we ought to be encouraged to live out our faith and to love God and to serve the Lord and to serve one another. Assembling with the church provides a measure of accountability. That means that we keep an eye on each other. We care about one another. It also provides this platform that no other platform provides, and that is to minister together as a body. We're, we're according to the Scripture, each member of this body is gifted. Every one of us, 
And those gifts are given to us that we might serve the Lord and that we might serve one another. And every member of the body is essential. So assembling with the church is important because God commanded it, but it's also important because it helps us. It builds our strength. We are stronger together than we would be alone, isolated. We challenge each other to live for God. So the church assembly is essential. It's essential because God commands it. It's essential because of the encouragement and support that it provides. But thirdly, I'd say it's essential because the importance of corporate worship. It's essential. It's not, it's not uh, an option. It's essential because of corporate worship. Hold your finger right here in Hebrews 10 if you still have your Bible open there. And go to the, chapter, the few chapters prior to this in Hebrews chapter 2. And I just want to mention this briefly. Talking about corporate worship. But in Hebrews chapter 2, if you'll look about the middle of the chapter, verse 9, begins with these words, but we see Jesus. And I'm not going to read all of this, but the context is Jesus. Looking at Jesus, we see Jesus. Verse 10 it says, for it became him. For whom are all things and by whom are all things? The, The subject is still Jesus. Him is Jesus. In verse 11, it says in the last part of verse 11, He is not ashamed, He, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them His people brethren. And that brings us to verse 12, saying, I will declare thy name among my brethren. It's talking about Jesus. Saying, I will declare thy name among my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. So Jesus practiced corporate worship. In the midst of the church, he said, I will sing praise unto thee. By the way, this verse 12, and I'm not going to turn to it, is a quote really from Psalm 22, that great messianic psalm that has this words in, these words in it. For instance, my God, my God, uh, why hast thou forsaken me? That's in Psalm 22. Or they pierce my hands and their feet. That's in Psalm 22. This is a quote here in Hebrews 2 from Psalm 23 where it's quoting Jesus fulfilling that 22nd Psalm by saying, in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. The point being, corporate worship was practiced by Jesus in the context of his church. Jesus established the church during his earthly ministry and he worshiped with the followers in the church. And that's not, that's one case, but there are many cases. Paul wrote to the Colossians, and I quote, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. That's that's what corporate worship is about. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. That's why we emphasize it, because it's biblical. You know, um, we, we encourage people in this way to really focus during the song service on what we're doing. We're not looking around, seeing who's here. We're not gazing around. We're concentrating on worshiping the Lord because that's what God wants us to do. We worship together as a body. We, we, we minister together as a body and we worship together 
as a body. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be in church to worship God. We sing, we give thanks, we worship God privately in our daily lives. But corporate worship is a part of our spiritual journey. Lifting up our voices together in praise to God and thanks to God. And there's no substitute for that. There is no substitute. My wife and I have enjoyed singing together at home during the online services. I'm going to look over here every once in a while. I don't want you all to feel neglected. We enjoy singing uh, together. And, but that's not the same as assembling and worshiping together. It never will be. It never was intended to be. So it's essential. Assembling as a body is essential because of the importance of corporate worship. And maybe even a fourth, essentiality, if I could impress you with that, of public worship. And that is because of the responsibility, don't miss this, because the responsibility to teach and preach and learn. It's a part of God's plan. The Word of God says this, that God manifested His Word through preaching, through the preaching of the Word of God. That doesn't mean that we can't read the Bible privately. We should. We should read our Bible. We should study our Bible. We should meditate upon the Word of God. We should memorize Scripture. But that does, that does not take the place of the preaching of the Word of God. In Acts chapter 20, when Paul called for the elders, the pastoral leadership of the church at Ephesus, and he called them for a meeting, he said to them, Feed the flock of God over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. That's the responsibility of pastors, teachers, is to feed the Word of God. God designed the church, the assembly of the church, what we're experiencing today as the place where God's Word would be taught, would be proclaimed, would be preached. And gospel preaching in the church assembly has changed innumerable lives. Most people, and I'm not saying this is the proper uh, way of doing things, but most people are probably saved in church services than any other place. And the reason I say it probably may not should be that way is more people should be saved through personal evangelism and witnessing to people. But, but most people, let's just take a survey. How many of you uh, trusted the Lord as your Savior uh, in some assembly of God's people? May even been a camp, or some, but it was a church ministry where you were assembled and you heard the gospel and you responded and were saved. Let me see your hands. Obviously, more, way more than half of the people. So it says something about how essential the assembly is because that's where the word of God is to be preached. And evangelistic preaching ought to take place in the assembly. But let me say this, it's not the only message. Some people, I think, have the idea that the gospel preaching the evangelistically is the only thing we preach, but that's not bared out in the scripture. We preach Christ. We preach the word of God. We preach the whole counsel of God. We preach the sufficiency of Christ, the ways of God, the truth, the doctrines of God. And that's why it's essential because God set it up that way. Is the church essential? I say it's absolutely essential. It's essential because God commanded it. It's essential because um, 
It brings encouragement and support. It's essential because of the corporate worship. It's essential because of the learning, the teaching that goes on, takes place there. And I'm going to give you one last reason that I believe the church, and you would believe this, the church is a symbol, assembles is essential, and that's because the mission entrusted to the Lord's churches. The Great Commission, the task of taking the gospel to the world, was given by Jesus to his churches. There's no, there's no other way, there's no plan B, there's no other organization, no other board, none of those things that have been given the responsibility to take the gospel to the world. Jesus gave it to the churches. And through the missionary endeavors of churches like ours, through praying and giving to the work of missions, the gospel is being preached in nations around the world. So the question, is the church essential? And I would say, absolutely. And I'm not just talking about the church as a membership, even of a body. I'm talking about the assembling of the church. It is. What does the word essential mean? It means it's indispensable. It means that it's vital. It means that it's important. It means that it's critical. It means that it is a necessity. Churches, and no one here would argue this point, I don't think, but people in the world don't see things the way the Bible dictates sometimes. But churches aren't simply social gatherings. Our role is more important than that. We've been entrusted with the Word of God. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is the framework by which God's people are ministered to and they minister through. The church is essential. And according to this text, it's required of God. Now, to be honest, and I think we ought to be honest, we are in church, the assembling of churches is sometimes treated non-essential by people in the world, by the media, by government entities. But sometimes it's also treated as non-essential by many who claim to belong to Christ and believe that they're saved. Treating it like it's not really that important. Many professing believers treat the church assembly as being non-essential. A pastor shared this this past week um, on social media, and he claims that this actually took place. He said he met a church member at Walmart, and this church member said, Hi, Pastor, how have you been? And the pastor said to the church member, I've been good, thank you. Hey, we've missed you at our drive-in service. The church member said, Pastor, I'm not going out until it's safe. Sila, think on these things. Whether that actually happened or not, I don't know. But I know this from experience, that the church assembly is often neglected for less important things. I believe it's essential. We believe that all of our lives, Christian lives. And I'll tell you, God blesses the assembly of his churches. I thank God for the invitation that my wife and I received 
45, back in 1975 to attend a Baptist church. We weren't church-going people. Never went to church. Hadn't been to church for years. And I thank God that in a church of caring church members, I heard the gospel. The gospel preached clearly and passionately, and our lives were transformed. I don't, the church didn't save us. It was a good church, but churches don't save people. But we heard the gospel, and the gospel changed our life. And then we saw with our eyes, we witnessed firsthand what Christianity really looks like by seeing people that you know, people you see week after week, people who care about each other, people who care about the unsaved, people give up their own time to serve. We saw that firsthand. It impacted our life. I'm grateful that I was introduced to Christian service, serving the Lord in one of the Lord's churches and, and got involved in ministry, helping people, working in a bus route. It was in a church that, that I understood and confirmed that God wanted me to preach the Word of God. It was in a church. And after 45 years, we've been privileged, my wife and I, our family, to, we've been blessed to attend and serve and raise our family in the Lord's churches. Are the churches essential? Absolutely they're essential. They're not non-essential. This church is essential. God's churches are essential. The assembly is essential. I say it again because it needs to be said. Please hear me. The church cannot save anyone. The church cannot forgive sins. No pastor, no priest, no bishop, no man can forgive sins but Jesus Christ and Him only. So I'm not saying the church saved us. Jesus Christ saved us. But He loved the church and gave Himself for it. There's only one way of salvation. And that's through the blood, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross and the blood that he shed. That's the only way for a person to be saved, forgiven, born again, become a child of God. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the message that we emphasize strongly because it's the message we find in the New Testament. But don't go away thinking, well, this church, this, if I just start going to church, I'll be okay. No, you need to be saved if you're not saved. And if you get saved, you ought to be faithful in the Lord's church and serve the Lord. And if you're not saved today, you ought to come to Christ today. I said earlier that people get saved. Many people, we saw it in our official poll, our Gallup poll. We saw that most, more than half the people here raised their hand. They got saved in some kind of a church service. But you don't have to be saved in a church service, but it's a good place to get saved. Any place is a good place to get saved. I want to close by asking this question. What, what good might come out of this time of separation that we've recently experienced. And we don't really know what the future holds. Number one, I'd like to see, because of this, a stronger commitment on the part of people, not just people in our congregation, but people who love the Lord and are members of churches, a stronger commitment to the church the Lord has added us to. May God help us. I've said this at least three times, maybe four times in these online messages, but God help us. If after going through this, 
We're not better because of it. God help us. If it all of it just make us cynical and things of that nature, it ought to make us grow closer to Christ. So I hope it makes for a stronger commitment. I hope it, I hope it gives us a greater appreciation and love for the assembly of the church. What we're doing is in accordance with God's will. What we're doing builds up people. What we're doing introduces the unsaved to the gospel. What we're doing strengthens families spiritually. Lowe's and Walmart can't do that. I'm telling you, the church is far more essential than any of those kinds of businesses or organizations. A greater appreciation would be good for the assembly of the Lord's church. But third, and then thirdly, an increase of service to and through the church members. One of the things I've been encouraged by is how church members during the seven weeks when we've not assembled one time have been actively involved in the lives of other people, ministering and caring, helping them bear their burdens. I'd like to see an increase of that love toward each other and toward those in the community. May God help us. May God help us see that this is not just the opinion of the preacher. This is the opinion of the Word of God, that His churches are essential for our lives. Amen?